welcome everybody in the room and everybody tuning in from wherever you are. Get excited. We've got two new locations launching tonight. Lafayette, Louisiana is launching in the second Indianapolis location because Indianapolis is growing so fast. And so to those welcome in every other Ports Live location and everybody in the room, we are kicking off a dating series. It is about to get real, people. And my hope, I'll just be up front, I hope as many of you as possible start dating and get married because of this series. And, um, and so I'm like, I am this close to making a porch dating app. And uh, that's, not, that's, not, that's not true and the liability would be terrible. So hey, let me start by... Uh, giving us some tracks for where we're going to go as we walk through this series on dateable. And that really is our heart. And our heart also is to not see anybody date and get married that is not doing so in a way that would honor God or with someone that is not the type of person that God wants them to be with. But let me start like this. A few months ago, I was out, and I shared before, I was out longboarding with my son, which clearly I'm too old to do, fell down, broke my hand, fractured it, went to the doctor, said they got to get surgery. And this was, I hadn't had a surgery like this in a while. And because COVID, there was all kinds of like new restrictions and checklist stuff that I had to do in order to get the surgery. So she said, we need to have the surgery this week. So over the next four days, I'm going to give you a checklist of things that you need to do. And that includes every single day, you got to take your temperature two different times. you got to go to this specific location and get tested to make sure that, you know, we get the results back from the PCR test beforehand. And then the day before... There's a whole checklist of certain things that you can eat and you can't eat and time that you have to have before or from your last meal into the surgery. And so she said you can't have anything after 8 p.m. and make sure that you don't have anything that morning. Surgery was around early afternoon the next day. And I'm walking through this and she's going, follow each of these checklists. And I'm like, you can't drink anything. And immediately, you know when you don't really care about having you know, water in the morning and then somebody tells you you can't have water for like 12 hours and you, you like begin to get thirsty right there. You're like, oh my, how am I going to go for that long without water? Like I can't take a sip of water? What's going to happen if I take a sip of water? And she begins to explain the anesthesia. If you have anything in your system, it can come back. And I'm like, what's the worst that could possibly happen? She says, we won't do the surgery, sir and explains that if you were to do that and you had something in your system because all of your organs are put to sleep, it can have real complications that lead to death, which feels extreme for a glass of water. (laughs) But it's what I was told. And so she said, make sure you follow this checklist. If not, you will not be having surgery because you will not be ready to have surgery and we will have to reschedule your surgery. Now, what does that have to do with dating? Well, when it comes to the topic of dating, the Bible, surprise, doesn't talk about it. Because dating has not been around for very long. It's relatively new invention around 100 years. But the Bible has a lot to say about the topics of romance, marriage, sex, evaluation, decision-making. And so when we do a series like this, our heart really is to take God's word and equip you and prepare you to be dateable, to be someone who is ready not just to date like the world and culture around us says, but to date in line with God's word, who he says, and as he says. 
And so tonight, I want to walk through a checklist of not to prepare you for surgery, but to prepare you for dating. And the subject of this evening is, are you dateable? Now, that's a question you probably have never asked yourself, but it's a really important question because the world around you is just going to say, are you dateable? If you're available, you're dateable. But the Bible would say, because you're dealing with the subject of your heart, of another person's heart, of the person who's going to be a spouse, a relationship that is meant to be till death do you part, you need to make sure you go into that prepared and ready to date. Aside from deciding to follow Jesus, the most important decision you're going to make is who your spouse is. There's a lot of decisions you're going to make. You may put pressure on yourself. Should I go to grad school? Should I not move to this town? Should I move over here? Should I move out of this apartment? Those are important decisions, but there really is not many things in life that you can't undo or that are decisions that you could change jobs and change careers, change industries, and then change back. You can undo it. There's some things that are very, very costly to undo. One of them is marriage. 80% of you will get married statistically by age 35, which means when you combine that with the average age of getting married is around 29 and 30, the vast majority of you in the room will be married and making the single most important, important decision next to following Jesus that you will make in your life in the next seven years, five to seven years. I mean, think about the impact that your parents and them deciding to get married had on your life. I mean, you are picking your family. People say, you pick your friends, can't pick your family. That's not true. You will pick your family because you are picking who will be the mother of your children. You are picking who will be the father of your children. You're picking the person who you're gonna spend more time with than any other person on the planet. And so when we come into this thing called dating, we need to make sure that we are ready to date, to put ourselves in the best scenario possible, to find the right person, to date in the right way. So tonight, I wanna to walk through a checklist of how you can know, am I dateable? And be equipped and prepared. And to also know, if I discover I'm not, practical things that God would say, here are steps that are gonna set you up to experience the best marriage someday and dating pursuit today or someday. So we're going to walk through and look at five different things. We're going to jump through scripture and look at five different marks of the checklist, the things that if you are interested in dating, you need to make sure you have checked off the list. Five different aspects of the checklist of am I dateable? Am I ready to date? Not will somebody ask me on a date? Not could I go on a date? Not am I dating anyone? But am I dateable and in a spot where it would be wise for me to continue going. So first idea I want to walk through as we look through these five is number one. First thing to check is check your preparation. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul lays out that this is a season, singleness. If you're single, which most of us are in the room, this is a season that is given by God uniquely to do a couple things. And it's a season that is preparing you to become the husband, the father, the mother, the wife that you are going to be someday. You are becoming that right now. And it's a season where you can use it to prepare. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7 says this, Paul speaking, I wish everyone was single as I am. Yet each person 
has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Paul says, he's talking about singleness. Hey, I wish everybody was single like I am. In the context, he's saying so that they could, with all of their life, devote to sharing the gospel around them. And he says, hey, I've got my gift. I know everybody. I'm not saying everyone has to be single. I wish everybody was because then the gospel could move further and faster. But he says, everybody has different gifts. And this is my gift. And Paul describes singleness as a gift, which most of us in the room or a lot of us would be like, if this is a gift, I would like to explore a return policy. But Paul is saying it's a gift. And later in the chapter, he explains, here's why it's a gift. It's a unique season that you have. And he explains that in verse 35. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote in singleness what is appropriate or appropriate behavior and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul says, hey, you have a single, you have a season of singleness that for most of you, like I already said, 80% of you will get married, which means it is a season And Paul said, this is a season that provides you the opportunity to produce or have God produce in you appropriate behavior and secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. In other words, to use to prepare you for whatever God has ahead in your story and to prepare you for marriage, to prepare you for what someday that relationship with the husband, wife that you are going to be. So what does it look like to prepare? Well, well, it involves promoting Appropriate behavior would be one of the things that Paul says. What does that look like? Here's three different things that it looks like. The first one, it means in this season, I'm going to prioritize if I'm single. I'm prioritizing my relationship with Jesus. He just said you have a, a unique season that will allow you to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. It will allow you to deepen in your relationship with God. The season you're in is a unique one that you will never have again, or hopefully will never have again, because you have a chance to spend more time prioritizing your relationship with God, studying God's word in the morning, and kids are not crying, coming to you saying, I need some milk or breakfast or Capri Sun or just screaming their heads off because their pacifier's out. You can wake up, you can have a quiet time. You can go on mission trips. You can spend weekends serving and knowing God and deepening in your faith and building a foundation that you're gonna build a marriage and a life on for the rest of the rest. How do you promote what is wise? What is the best way to prepare in this season? It is to prioritize my relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna sow seeds that for the rest of my life, they're gonna be growing because of the way that I invested this time of singleness. You may not believe it. You may think you're busy. You may think, man, I have so much going on. Wait until you are married and you have children. Whatever you think is busy, I look back and I'm like, what did I do with my life? And it sounds crazy. And I sat in a room like this and I would hear people say things like that. Of This is a unique time where you're going to have more disposable time than any other. And I would go, man, you don't know me, bro. I'm so busy. And now I look back and I'm like, I should have, I was such an idiot. You have more time and availability to serve the Lord and to use it growing and prioritizing your relationship, which is a part of preparing you for a relationship with the spouse. In other words, you're not going to get a relationship with a guy or girl right until you get the relationship with God right. Side note, on the question of, hey, am I dateable? If you are not a Christian, no, because you haven't gotten the relationship with God right, which should be the first priority. What does it mean to be a Christian? Quickly, it means accepting the gospel, which means good news, that Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago. He was God in human form. He died on a cross for your sin and a payment for your sin and every wrong that you've ever done. 
And by accepting God, I'm not good enough, but you paid for me on the cross. Through that, we're told, just like Jesus rose from the dead, you will rise from the dead and have eternal life, a relationship with God. For those of us who are, this is a season where we prioritize getting to know him. What's the second part of preparing well in this season? Dealing with hurts. This is huge. Dealing with hurts. Is there anyone in your life who you haven't forgiven? And I'm sure if I heard your story, it would make sense and I would feel such empathy and compassion and hate it and you didn't deserve it and whatever happened. But if you carry bitterness, you are not ready to date because you're not ready to get married, which is what dating leads to. When I meet with couples and I do premarital counseling, for anybody whose wedding I'm gonna do, I ask a question every single time. Is there any, I ask this question, is there anyone in your life that you haven't forgiven? And oftentimes, they'll say, you know, uh, my father, parent, somebody distant. And I'll look at them and as lovingly as I can, I say, I can't do your wedding unless you forgive them. Why would you be so mean, David? Well, the Bible says over and over that you and I as Christians, we are called to forgive as Christ forgives us over and over and over. I mean, one example is Colossians 3, 13. You can find it in Ephesians 4, Matthew 18, over the Lord's Prayer. But here it says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You and I are called to forgive people. Why would it be bad to go into marriage and hold bitterness against somebody that's not my husband? I mean, I'm not marrying you know, a family member that hurt me. I'm marrying him. I'm marrying her. Why is that bad? If you develop the habit of picking up hurts and holding on to them, hey, when I get hurt, I hold on. When I get hold, I, I hold this bitterness. I hold it against that person. It creates a wedge for me and that person. You are flexing the muscle of holding bitterness. In marriage, you are stepping into a relationship that is the most intimate relationship you're gonna have. And the deeper the intimacy in any relationship, the deeper the pain is when they hurt you. You're stepping into a relationship with another sinner just like you, and marriage, healthy marriages, are the process of choosing to forgive someone who deeply hurts you over and over and over, like Christ forgave us, not to stay in an abusive environment, but to choose, I'm going to forgive this person. Billy Graham famously said when he was asked what makes a great marriage, he said two great forgivers. And so if you have not dealt with hurts, the best way you can prepare in this season is to say, man, I'm gonna choose, I'm gonna work through, I'm gonna choose to forgive people. I'm gonna work through that with my community group, maybe through region. I'm gonna choose, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna forgive this person who really hurt me. The third way this season is one, to uniquely prepare for marriage is to deal with toxic habits. Is there something in your life that you're thinking, man, when I get married, I'm sure this won't be a part of me, whether it's an eating disorder, maybe you're just a liar. You you lie about little things. You have never opened up. You lie to your community. You lie to the person you're dating. Is there something in your life that you need to confess and get rid of and say, man, I I need to bring this into light. I just want to work on this. I don't want to be this person. Because marriage is not going to make that change. It's not going to make a porn addiction go away. It's not going to make the eating disorder that you turn to when you're stressed go away. It'll just make it worse. 
What's gonna make it go away is when you decide, I'm going to confess and repent and work through this. I'm gonna decide to work through this. Maybe it's a gambling problem that you wouldn't even admit or you wouldn't even describe it that way, but you kind of just turn to it and it's your outlet and your release. What is the toxic habits that today you could decide, I'm gonna give the gift to my spouse that I'm not carrying this into marriage. I'm not bringing this in and making it, it goes from my problem to our problem. I am dealing with this today because I'm choosing to prepare for marriage. You know, it's crazy when it comes to marriage, we believe it's like, it will magically change us. Man, I struggled with lust. That's just because I was single. Then I got married. Lust problem went away. Marriage doesn't change anything but the fact that now you're married. In other words, it doesn't make your problems go away. It makes you have not single, being a single person in problems. It, now you're a married person with problems. And somebody else is invited into those problems. It doesn't change. In other words, you put on a ring, stand in front, wear a white dress, the next day, nothing is different other than you're married. It'll change your last name. It won't change your toxic habits. But you can decide today, I'm gonna work on those. And you are deciding, am I gonna choose to prepare for marriage? I'm gonna work through hurts. I'm gonna work through toxic habits. I'm gonna prioritize my relationship with God and choose to prepare well. Or you can choose to not prepare. And you know what will happen when you get married? You won't be prepared. It's pretty profound. Let's say it again. If you choose not to prepare, you'll get married and you won't be prepared for marriage. I don't know why anybody would think differently as they're like, man, marriage, and then I'll get serious about God and that's going to change. It doesn't change anything except for your last name, potentially, and your relationship status. Like what other arena in life do we focus on, hey, I'm gonna, I'll be able to uh, you know, have victory or accomplish this, not because I prepared or I practiced, just because I promise I'll be able to. None. We know that it doesn't work that way in school or education. If I promise, like, oh, I'm going to get great grades. You know what allows you to get great grades? Preparing. In business or sports, no one would say, hey, our team, we're going to win a national championship this year because we're just going to promise that we're going to do it. No more practices, guys. Just go to the locker room and promise national championship, national championship. It's a very fast way to lose your job if you're a head coach. Because we understand you could promise things all day, which is what saying I do is a promise. Promises don't matter if they don't have preparation behind them. You are choosing today, I'm gonna prepare to keep the promise that I'm gonna make. Everybody intends and wants to keep the promise. I do, so death do his part. They just don't prepare. And you can decide, I am going to choose to prepare. There's a passage related to this, and we'll go to the second one. On this idea of, I don't know where we buy the myth that like, man, marriage, I'll just wake up one day and I'll be different. There's a passage on love that you've probably heard if you've gone to a wedding before and heard somebody read before, or maybe you've read yourself before. And in the passage, he takes a very interesting term towards the end of it. It's the love chapter. You've heard people wonder, hey, is love a verb? Is it a noun? In this chapter, this is the love is a verb chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, Apostle Paul, he defines love. Look at the description that he says. He says, love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor other people. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
is Paul describing, how can you know that you're operating in love? Love doesn't delight in evil, it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes and always perseveres. And then at the end of the section about love, the Apostle Paul does something that's really interesting and really, really relevant. He begins to talk about his childhood, where he's like, this is what love is, this is what love is. And he goes into, when I was a boy, and he begins to describe growing up. Here's what he says. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. Like, hey, when I was a little kid, when I was a little boy, it's Paul talking about himself. When I was a little boy, I was like a kid. I thought like a kid, thought like kids think. And then when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. When we're kids, I am currently in a stage where my kids are young, and so you read books every night for bed. You're reading fairy tales to them. And when you're a kid, you think and believe fairy tales. You think those are true. You think, you know, someday, maybe I could fly someday. Wouldn't that be amazing? And the way that you think and see the world, you just are still, you're not old enough to understand it's a fairy tale. It's a myth. It's not true. Some of us have bought fairy tales and myths about love and about marriage and about romance that you've never abandoned or recognized. That's a fairy tale. Happily ever after. That's a fairy tale. That does not happen. What happens in marriage is two people come together and they work to love each other and die to themselves ever after. It's a much longer tagline than happily ever after, but it's a much more true tagline. Equally as true is a fairy tale that marriage is going to change and make your problems go away. Marriage doesn't make your problems go away. Deciding I'm going to prepare for marriage is how you and I work through the problems that one day are going to attempt to get in your way of that relationship with the other person. How are you preparing in this season? If you're not preparing well, you are not dateable. Second idea, check your pattern. So check your pattern, check your preparation, check your pattern. What is a pattern? You have a past. You have a pattern of dating. If you dated anybody, uh, you likely have, or you do have a pattern. We all have them, and there's certain things just from our past that we gravitate towards. What is the patterns of your life, of your dating relationships, the, the different ways that you end up in dysfunctional, messed up relationships, the cycles that are part of your love life story? In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, it says, the simple believe anything, but a wise person or a prudent gives thoughts to their steps. What is your pattern? Do you know it? Because if you don't, Accept it, you can't address it. Do you know what is your pattern of dating? Here's something that I wrote. Some of you only date passive men because your dad was controlling. And so now you think, I so did not like that. I want someone who's passive, who I'm kind of the boss in this relationship. Or your dad was passive, and so you're looking for someone that is passive, which is not coming out of a healthy place, but a broken place. You're looking for qualities and characteristics that are not the ones God says to look for. Some of you, you don't like being in a relationship with somebody if the other person, or if you like the other person more than they like you. 
In other words, you're comfortable in a dating relationship and you'll continue in the dating relationship as long as they like you more than you like them. Do you know why? Because you're afraid of rejection. And it allows you to have some semblance of control of, man, I know that this, per- this girl's so into me or he's so into me that he- I can decide if I ever want to walk away because she never will. And you know why? It's because you're afraid of rejection. You're operating from fear, not from a healthy place. You all, we all have patterns. Some of you, candidly, girls, you've stayed in relationships in your past way too long. And you took behavior that was not just rude, it was borderline abusive, harsh, mean. And you took it. And you allowed other people to treat badly because you thought badly of yourself. And there's a pattern there. That, hey, you're going to be prone to do that. And unless you say, man, I, I need to evaluate all the different broken patterns that are in my life. If I'm going to change them, I can't address what I haven't accepted is there. Some of you, you get in a relationship, and I just want you to think about this, because this is a very common one. You get in a relationship, and you start dating somebody. You're like, it's going great. She's a cute girl. I'm going to talk to the guys here for a second. This feels like a guy thing. She's a cute girl. Man, I'm interested in dating her. You go on one date. Things are good. You know, but I just didn't feel all the sparks flying. But she seems nice, and she's a cute girl, and she checks the box on all the qualities that I want. I'll go on a second date. Go on a second date. Yeah, same thing. I'm just not really feeling it. Third date, you kind of get a few dates in. And you begin to go, I mean, everything on paper is great. I just, I just don't know if I'm feeling it or if I want to date her. Let me ask you a question. There's so many baked-in assumptions in your decision to break up with that person. I'm not even telling you it's wrong, but just stay with me. I'm going on a very narrow path to take you somewhere, okay? (laughs) In that moment, you are assuming that I should have some level of fireworks, whatever that means, and a feeling of emotion towards this person. If I was to ask you to write out, what would fireworks look like? You wouldn't say fireworks. You would say, I don't know, like some butterflies or something in there. And you would struggle to articulate what you are deeming a criteria for a relationship that must take place. I'm not even saying you're wrong or in sin. I'm just saying you owe it to yourself to at least say, huh, I can't even tell myself why I don't want to keep dating this girl. That's perfect on paper. And Jesus says would be a great wife. Something to think about. Something to think about. I don't know what your pattern is, but I know if you have any level of dating relationship, you have one. And in order to address it, you got to first identify it and accept like, hey, this is my tendency. And then you bring it into other guys or girls in your life and community. You're like, hey, this is my tendency. I just, I get kind of far in and then I'm like, man, I'm just afraid. I kind of have the commitment fear, so I'm out. And so you got to bring that to other guys in your life, your guy, other girls in your life. You got to talk about it and say, hey, here's my temptation. This is my ditch. Hold me accountable. Because if not, that pattern ain't going away. I, I, so flip golf carts from time to time and we'll buy a golf cart, try to trick it out and, and, you know, sell it and not lose money. Not long ago, I bought one, and the alignment was off. And by alignment, alignment is the thing that allows you to drive straight. If the alignment is off, you'll start driving, and it'll just immediately go to the right. So the alignment was totally off. So every time I got in the car, I had to compensate by pulling the steering wheel way far over in order for it to drive straight. Because on its own, it was just going to keep going 
in that direction because its alignment was off. If you don't identify, hey, I got an alignment that's off. This is just where I go in isolation, in neutral. I just drift towards, man, I get in, things are going well, and I get deuces because I get nervous, and I've never even told anybody that, but I just have some relationship problems, or I get in the relationship, and I allow myself because I don't want to lose the other person to go farther physically than God's word says. I need some help and accountability there. If you don't begin to work on those patterns, they're not going away. They're just going to continue, continue, and continue resurfacing. I hear from girls all the time. Now I'm leaning into the girls. Why are guys just such jerks? Every guy in the world, he's either a jerk or he's totally unattractive. This is who they are. It's true. It is true. Here's something I want you to consider. Stay with me. Wait, wait, right here. In those conversations, they always go one way of like, hey, tell me about who are you dating? And she'll describe. He was just such a jerk, and he was just such a jerk, and he was just such a jerk. Could it be that it's not that the world is as simple as unattractive or jerk, but that you are only attracted to jerks? Hold on. And hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, bring it up. It's good. Good night, everybody. Here's why I say that. You had jerk John, jerk Jerry, jerk Mark. You had dating relationships with all of them. Who is the common denominator in all those relationships? You. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm saying, could it be that there is something dysfunctional in you that is drawn to someone like that? I don't know what it is, but I know you've got to get down. To what are the dysfunction of my dating pattern and past? Because a dysfunctional pattern reveals or reflects a dysfunctional personal issue that you got to get to the root of, have communities begin to, and work through. If you have not worked through and you don't even know your pattern, you may not be dateable. But you need to prioritize working through that. Speaking of priorities, third idea is you need to check your priorities. I'm going to move quickly through this one. That you, as a believer, what are the priorities? What are the things, that if you were to put a list together, and I could give you a piece of paper right now. If I was sitting down with you and I was like, hey, write on paper everything you want in a spouse. Or everything in the person you want to date, hopefully marry someday, write them out. And you know what your list would include? It would include things like, I want them to be witty. Because, you know, I'm, I'm not that witty and I just like a little personality. And I... Uh, <laughs> He's got to be 6'2 or taller because I'm 5'9 and I like to wear heels, okay? And you could list out all the things. Or you go, I want her to be a blonde. Or I want her to be a little reserved because I'm not outgoing. Or I like someone who, you know, is kind of go with the flow because I'm pretty buttoned up. And you could give me your list. It's fine. You could have a list. Make the priorities of the top parts of your list the right ones. Because all of the other ones, I've never heard I've never heard, and doing this a long time, a couple get divorced because he wasn't witty enough. But I've heard over and over the relationship fall apart because he was selfish. She was emotionally abusive or absent. And so you got to make sure what are the priorities? Like these are the must have non negotiables. Let me give you an example of a top priorities of somebody that you are not dateable. We love you. We are glad you're here. You just need to work and meet with Jesus more in order to get ready to date. Here, here's not dateable list of somebody. Here's on the not dateable priorities. If these are your top priorities, you are not dateable. Hot. 
<clears throat> Witty, high salary, outgoing, nice car. <laughs> On the dateable list, Jesus is their first love. If the priorities in your life, for Jesus is their first love, they are a member of a church. They're connected to a local church. In other words, they look at God's word and it says, hey, you and I are to be underneath, connected to a local church. They actually listen and obey that which tells you that they're actually going to listen and obey the other commands in Scripture about how they're to raise babies, how they're to be a husband or wife. They're humble. They're teachable. This one is so huge. When they're confronted with something, they're teachable. They'll ask for forgiveness. They're not perfect. And you point out ways that they're not perfect. You go, I'm trying to work on that area. Or thank you. Will you please forgive me? They're humble. They have strong character. And they value marriage. They value marriage the way God said. It is a lifelong covenant relationship together. They have character. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4, it says, A spouse or wife or husband of noble character is her husband's crown. But a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. What is, what is the author saying there? He says, it's like, it's, the crown is the most prized possession. A wife, a husband of noble character, is like their spouses. This is my prized possession. But one who is not, who doesn't have character, it's like it's rotting them from the inside. It's pretty powerful. And the author says, man, you need to be so careful when you find someone of character, it's weird, man. We, we prioritize the outside. That's what attracts us to people. We end up dating because it's like the outside. When the inside is the only thing that's sticking around. In other words, the outside, whatever they look like right now, it's not going to look like what they look like in 20 years. Hair will move from here to other places. <laughs> Stretch marks are going to happen. Just bodies are going to change. Wrinkles are going to happen. No matter how much Botox they spray up, it's going to happen. Or inject, whatever, it's, whatever it is. <laughs> Spray up. The outside is going away. The inside is here to stay. And we prioritize just so many of the wrong things. Are they somebody that will love you? Like Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and that he laid down his life for her. Or husbands in Colossians 3. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Sometimes even the thing that is on the top priority is how we feel, which is a really dangerous thing. Let me wrap this point up quickly. Because you know where your feelings come from? They come from what the Bible would say is the heart. And the heart can be really, really deceitful. In other words, following your feelings is putting your life in the hands of something the Bible doesn't speak that well of when it comes to its ability to deceive. It says this, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Think about this verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure or utterly sick. And, uh, Jeremiah writes, and he says, The heart has the ability to deceive oneself more than anything else in all of creation. It's pretty shocking. This is why just following blindly the feelings and emotions that you have 
is a bad idea biblically because you may love him and you guys are infatuated together and you're obsessed and you got a song and you got, you know, just dreams of all the visions of someday your home and little babies. But if he's not a believer, you have deceived yourself. And is it possible to fall in love with someone who's not a Christian if you're a Christian? Absolutely. All you got to have to fall in love is be breathing and then be breathing, period. (laughs) Staying in love is a much harder thing. And that requires sharing the same priority of Jesus in your life. He's their first love and their first love. And so if your priorities and what you're looking for do not, are not shaped by that, which is really hard, because candidly, a lot of you guys, you would say, yes, they are that. But you got deal breakers. You'd say, I'm not dating somebody shorter than me. I'm not dating a, a girl that has that much debt. I'm not dating somebody that, you know, wants to keep working or wants to not work. And so you owe it to yourself to just say, here are my deal breakers. Say, God, will you help me prioritize what you prioritize? After you've checked your pattern, your priorities, and your preparation, the final thing is check your people. Do you have believers in your life, a support system around you that is gonna be able to speak into in a godly way, people that love you, that are for you? They're not just gonna tell you the relationship is great because you know, they don't wanna hurt your feelings. They're willing to tell you the truth. And they, come along and they want to celebrate and see you with somebody godly. Do you have a community group, a small group? You need to check your people and make sure that they are the right people in order that you would have wise counsel to see the relationship succeed. Proverbs 24, verse 6 says, By wise guidance you can wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Other Proverbs say that plans fail because lack of counsel. Counsel to call out. That they would say, if they thought the relationship was not healthy. What so many people who got married and ended up divorced didn't have people to say. Most people are in a toxic relationship. If they're around anybody who's not toxic, they can go, that's pretty toxic. You guys are really unhealthy and codependent and messed up. And we need people in our life that are willing to speak the truth in love because they love us. In Hebrews chapter three, verse 14 or 12 through 13, it says, See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage or call out one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. They're willing to speak in and give counsel. They're also willing to come along and celebrate. This is a good thing. Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse four, and throughout the book talks about this couple that had friends that looked on and they said, we celebrate this relationship is an amazing thing. You guys should date and be in relationship together. Do you have believers in your life who are coming alongside of you that can speak the truth, that will give you their honest thoughts, that will counsel you? Because if not, you are going into deciding one of the most important things in your life all alone. Proverbs 18 verse one says, whoever isolates himself or lives in isolation, dates in isolation, seeks his own desires, he breaks out against all sound judgment. He fights against all sound judgment. He excuses and rationalizes, dismisses red flags. That's what that means. He tries to make excuses for, she makes excuses for, tries to overlook it, 
because we're in love. And people in their life that could have been a source of protection at a time when the relationship ending is still painful, but it is far less painful than we got a two-year-old and you got to move out into an apartment. And I love you and I have seen it too many times and I have nothing but a vested interest in you having an amazing marriage. But do you have a support system? Do you have your people that are coming around you and calling you out and speaking to it? This was huge even in my own dating relationship with my wife where we were dating and there's just times where we got engaged and I remember having the most crippling anxiety where I was like, oh my gosh, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life? And at the time you're like engaged and, and it wasn't, I didn't have any of those emotions and then there was something about that engagement that I, I don't even know what happened. It just, maybe it's just what happens with cold feet or you just begin to like overplay and overplay and overplay and then you listen to people who give dumb advice like when you know, you know, and you're like, oh no, I thought I knew. Now I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Oh no. And, uh, and I had community come around and be like, hey, what, what are the reasons that like you feel nervous or you're worried about or you're concerned about? And walk through them and I'd be like, man, I just, I don't know, maybe there could be somebody better out there for me. And they're like, yeah, there's 8 billion people. Chances are, possibly, that's not a good biblical reason why this wouldn't be a marriage that would work. And I walked through and and they were like, yeah, none of those are good reasons. And they began to just kind of put my feet back on earth and go, we think this is a good idea, a good relationship. And you're just getting cold feet and nerves. It's what happens. And they were right. Do you have people that can speak in like that or they can say, hey, you guys, you guys are moving in together and you know God says that's not gonna lead to a place of a healthy relationship. Do you have the right people? Finally, check your plans. You check your preferences, check your preparation, check your pattern or priorities and then check your plan is marriage on the horizon. In other words, how do I know if I'm ready to date? Am I dateable? The purpose of dating is to lead towards marriage. And so is marriage on the horizon? Here's what I mean by that. To be abundantly clear for everybody in the room who's like, yes, yes. Or the people who are like, uh-uh-uh. Could you see yourself getting married in the near future? And by near future... In my opinion, I would say a year to a year and a half, maybe two years. You were not made to be in a perpetual relationship with someone of the opposite sex that you're attracted to, which hopefully would be the person you're dating forever and ever and ever. Jesus in Luke 12 said this about don't start something you can't finish. In Luke 12, he said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation, you're not able to finish it. Everyone who sees you will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and he wasn't able to finish. Is marriage something that you can see in the near horizon? That you could actually say, man, I, I could see myself getting married. I'm not saying you're going to. I'm not saying you need to tell them that. I'm just saying, if marriage is off the table, dating should be off the table. And that may frustrate you, but it can't stand the heat. Get out of the kitchen because it is in the dating process that we are walking on a path that every time or every relationship should be one, this is for Christians, where that dating is a path that leads to a promise. That's at an altar, you're in a tux, she's in a white dress, preacher man right there. That leads to a lifelong pursuit. Dating is a path to lead to a promise 
to lead to a lifelong pursuit that's called marriage. It is not to be this perpetual, and we're just dating. I talked to some couples, and it's like, we've been dating five years. Five years? What, are you, what, what information are you lacking? I just want to see what he's like at Christmas. You've had five of them. How much more time do you need? You are made. And if you date well, here's the deal. Like, Christian dating is not fun. In other words, if it's fun, you're not doing it right. Because marriage is a way better relationship where you and that person are yoked together and love each other and you're not playing the games. You're not walking through having to uh, leave at 10 o'clock and asking for accountability. You're like, we're going home. You know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> and you're able to continually be around one another, encourage, support. And so if you're just perpetually dating, you're either not dating like God says or there's something wrong there that you should open and invite other people in. Man, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm just not ready to move forward. And you should be honest enough with yourself and with the person who you're dating to say, hey, I'm not ready to move forward and I don't think we should date. And so is marriage on the horizon? Is it something you're realistically like, yes, I could see myself in the future, not five years, in the near future, getting married because it's a path to a promise, a lifelong pursuit. It's a little bit like this. I hate going to the mall. Hate it. It's like, if you ever see me at the mall, I'm probably in a bad mood because I'm at the mall. And so when I go to the mall, which is very rare because I have mastered the art of online shopping. I buy everything online. It's amazing. It's incredible living in 2021. And when I go to the mall, though, I don't know what it is. It's just like I walk in. I don't know where anything is. The stores, I can't breathe. The oxygen, there's so much perfume. There's pretzels everywhere for some reason. And it just is like, oh, man, how do I get out of here? And I go find that little map. And I find my store. And I run to the map. Or I run from the map to the store. And I get there. And I begin to you know, buy my thing. And then I leave. Then there's people like my wife. Well, she will just go to the mall just for fun. It's like she just wants to walk around, try things on, look at things. Just I, I don't even know what she's doing. <laughs> and this is apparently a very common thing because of you know people on my team or people that like it's just a relaxing thing. I had the opposite experience. It is what it is. Neither is right. Neither is wrong. But the perspective of hey, I'm here. I know what I'm here to purchase. I know what I'm here for. I'm going to do it. I'm not wasting time not trying things on, not going to just stroll if I don't have any money to purchase things. That's okay when it comes to shopping. It's not okay when it comes to dating. That you weren't made to just go, you know what, I'm going to try this boy on, I'm going to try this girl on, I'm going to try this relationship on, I'm going to try this relationship on. I don't really have any interest in purchasing anything. I just kind of want to see how it looks in this. Is not something that as Christians you are to do because it's not loving because it's not putting the needs of the other person in their heart above your needs and above your heart. It's not guarding and protecting you for your future marriage. And it's okay to do that if you're shopping. It's not okay to do that when it comes to dating. Conclusion, as it relates to are you dateable, I wanna walk through these really quick. Have you addressed or checked your preparation? How are you preparing for who you're gonna be. Do you have the right priorities? Like these are really my right priorities. These are my priorities. Because of the ones God says I should prioritize. Have you addressed your patterns? Some of the brokenness that exists. 
Do you have the right people, godly counselors in your life? If not, maybe the thing you need to do to become dateable is get into a community group. Go to First Step right after this. Join a church somewhere. This one or a local church where you have people in your life to support. And then do you have a plan? Are you just strolling through, seeing what comes? Or or do you know, no, this is what I'm looking for. And I'm not going to the mall until I want to purchase it. I'm not going to date until I'm ready for it. And if you do, and I know a lot of you do, congratulations, you are dateable. We'd like you to all stand up. We're gonna do a mixer up in the loft <laughs> and try to get as many of you paired up as possible. And I mean it, I, I, not the mixed part. <laughs> I mean the dating part. You should date. There are godly men and godly women all over this place. You should date and walk down that path towards the promise of a lifelong pursuit, whether or not it's with that person or not, but you are dateable. And I would highly encourage you, find a godly girl or if it's a godly guy, say yes. Others of you, you're not. And I say that because I love you. The best thing you can do is decide, I'm gonna actually take these things to heart. I'm gonna follow what God's word says. I'm gonna prioritize my character. I'm gonna prioritize working on me. I'm gonna walk in community with other people. I wanna deal with the dysfunction that keeps tripping me up. And I'm gonna give the best gift that I can give to my spouse as I work on me. That surgeon, like I said, she brought all that up. She was like, man, if you don't, you could literally die, which sounded so extreme when I was talking about food. If I ate breakfast, she said, we will not do the surgery and we need you to be totally honest. Did you eat anything? Because we won't do the surgery because if we did it, you could lose your life because of essentially choking while you're on anesthesia. In a similar way, following that checklist was crucial. Following God's checklist as it relates to love, romance, marriage, evaluating is crucial. Not from a physical pain and death, but from a spiritual, emotional, relational death and pain. And the decision is yours. Are you going to decide? And I could not be more passionate as I finish and wrap up here. I want to see God unleash godly men and women who know eternity is real. This life is not about love. This life is not about this life. This life is not about you. This life is about Jesus. And they come together with other godly men or other godly women, and they get married, and they have babies, and they have disciples that they raise in their home because they know heaven is real, eternity is real. How I live in this life matters. How you live in this life matters. Who you date will determine who you marry, which will determine the rest of your life or as long as that relationship is around. And you have to decide, am I gonna do it my own way? Am I gonna go, this guy doesn't know, he doesn't live in the real world. Or are you gonna say, I'm actually gonna do what God says when it comes to the single most important relationship you'll ever have. And if you think, ah, I'm gonna do it my way. You are arrogant, you are a fool, and no one should date you. And then the godly ones in here, I hope, I mean it, I hope you get married, and I hope you have an amazing marriage, and you raise disciples in your home, and you push back darkness that is all over the world. And you represent what family is, and marriage is, which is a reflection of God. It's all about God, like life is all about God. And you get to decide today, Am I going to follow what God says or am I not? 
And I can't make that decision for you, but you can. And it is one of the most important decisions you will ever make. So make it wisely. Let me pray. Father, I do pray with all sincerity that there would be couples that form through this series in this room and they walk deeply with you. They represent a faith that models to a world around them. Though none go with us, we will follow Jesus. And we're going to raise our children and point them to Jesus. We're going to live life, conduct our marriage imperfectly, and point them to Jesus, that they understand that life is not about love and all the different messed up messages that were sold from the very time that we're little boys and girls, the fairy tales, that they put those ways of childhood behind them and they walk with Jesus, the one that they were made for, by, and the relationship that matters more than anything else in their life. And I pray that you would end every relationship right now in this room that is gonna lead to pain and heartache, divorce, heartbreak, and that you would protect them and that they would experience healing and in the midst of any pain that you would be bigger than the pain. And I just pray protection over all the dating relationships that are here, that are honoring you, that you would allow them to continue to. We love you. Thank you that you first loved us. And in walking with you, we learn how to love. In Christ's name.